Hey everyone, and welcome to the 42nd episode of The Liam McCollum Show. I interviewed John Miltimore, the managing editor of the Foundation for Economic Education, about the economic devastation of Venezuela and how it is a cautionary tale for the U.S. I also have a few photos and graphs embedded in the video, so head over to YouTube if you want to see them. Remember to like, share, and subscribe, and give me a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Here's John. All right, John, welcome to the show. Hey, Liam, thanks for having me on. Yeah, do you want to just give a quick introduction for yourself? Yeah, my name is uh, John Miltimore. I'm the managing editor at the Foundation for Economic Education. Um, you know, we're one of those think tanks that is not in D.C., but we've been around since the 1940s. Uh, and our mission is just to kind of to educate people on economics and, and the virtues of economic freedom. Cool. And I want to cover two of your articles today, two of your recent articles, um, the first of, of which is regarding Venezuela turning to privatization after being bankrupted. Um, do you want to just cover Venezuela's collapse and any necessary history that got us up to this point? Yeah, I mean, that article stemmed from a, a report recently in, in Reuters, um, and it, it was a pretty stunning report. Um, basically, you know, um, the, the history of, of, of Venezuela, you know, just to start there a little bit, they're a very prosperous country and, you know, the most pro prosperous country in South America in the 1950s. Um, their labor productivity rate was higher than the United States. Um, they, um, their e economic growth stalled a little bit in the 70s um, after they nationalized uh, parts of their, their oil industry. Um, but things really changed when Hugo Chavez, uh, he was elected president uh, first in the late 90s. Um, but Chavez, you know, became he was, uh, elected on a platform of democratic socialism. Um, he's, you know, Venezuela soon started to embrace, you know, full-throated socialism and, and uh, they were nationalizing, you know, various parts of their economy, kind of throw a dart at an economic sector and there was a good chance they were nationalizing it. It was everything from mining and farming um, to transportation, communications, and, and all those things. Um, and, you know, there were, you know, sadly, you know, serious economic consequences to that. There, um, Venezuela's economy started to, to stall. Oh, about, about 2010, 2011, you can see it just in its, if you have a GDP, you know, it, it, it does one of these. Um, and, you know, there's been, as a lot of people know, a lot of pain in, in Venezuela. People are fleeing the country. Um, rampant inflation, um, and what's astonishing is, is you know, this is where to come back to the Reuters article. Um, in Venezuela, they're actually returning, um, you know, these these properties um, to, in, in the, in, over to the hands in the private sector. Um, you, what you have are, you know, but everything from from coffee plantations um, to uh, farms that have been idle for years. Um, they're, they're turning it over to private enterprise, you know, who are allowed to keep a profit. Um, they come up with different arrangements for different sectors. Um, but uh, basically, it, you know, I think we got to be careful. It's not a full blown return to capitalism. I think some people, you know, claim that Venezuela is still picking the winners and losers. They're still saying who gets these deals, who doesn't, what the arrangements are. You still have currency manipulation and price controls. Um, and all those things. So um, on an economic freedom scale, Venezuela is still ranked either last or dead last, depending on whether you include North Korea. Um, but the fact that they're acknowledging that these, these policies, the, these central planning policies failed um, is a pretty big story. In, in that same article, you do talk about like what this means for command economies and essentially 
how this negates command economies. Do you want to talk a little bit about what the problem is? Maybe how price controls have something to do with that? I mean, yeah, we've, we've seen this before, right? Like um, the, the, we have great, all these examples of, of command economies where they're trying to, to regulate commerce and economic activity from, from boardrooms and, and capitals. Um, it, it's incredibly complex. Um, you know, like we had a, a recent piece, uh, Lawrence Reed, uh, the longtime president fee just came out with looking at in the Soviet Union in the early 1920s, um, they recognized that their war communism was, it was a failure. Lenin, you know, one of the most devout socialists in history, um, passed his new economic policy that, that said, look, like this isn't working. And it started to inst institute market reforms. Um, and the, the truth is you can't have individuals trying to regulate economies in this fashion and, and keep them you know, efficient or effective. Um, and you know, Venezuela isn't the first country that was a socialist economy that, that looked and said, this, this isn't working. Um, we, you know, like these farms were operating fine when we weren't involved. And you know, now that we, we uh, seize them and, and are trying to run them ourselves, they're idle. There's not the proper incentives to work. And we saw that, of course, like in the Soviet Union, um, you had all these um, when communism, you know, in the, in the late 80s, early 90s was was collapsing. Um, and they just started returning all these businesses to in the private hands. Um, the, the beauty of the market system is you don't have to regulate them. You don't have to have um, the state out there trying to decide what goes where, how many widgets get sent here and what what the price should be. Um, it's it's the beauty of a, of a free market is, is all those things are being um resolved on their own. It was the same reason when you had, you know, members of the Politburo that used to come, you know, to the Americas, uh, to America in the, in the 80s. And they said, how do you, how do you have all these stores filled with, with food? Like, who, who do you tell to get them there? Well, they didn't. They, like, all of this was, was, was a market economy that th this happened on its own. Um, and if, if the state, you know, is, is able to just step back and allow these, these things to happen, um, it, it, it's great prosperity for everybody. Yeah. And then I, I was just curious about, you mentioned how they have minimum wage hikes. Do you know what the Venezuela minimum wage is? I actually don't off the top of my head. It'd be kind of fun to look. It's always changing. Uh, mm -hmm. I think that they, they just tripled it, as I recall here, just, just recently. Um, and when I say recently, it might've been last year, the year before. Mm -hmm. um, but no, I don't. Uh, and, and partly the, the, the problem is there's, there's the way the, the economy's operating right now. Uh, with inflation, as soon as they increase the minimum wage, it's all being eaten away by inflation. Like if you look this year alone, they're at three thousand percent inflation in in Venezuela since January. Um, that's how, that that's a lot, and it sounds like a lot. But if you go back, two thousand eighteen, inflation was at ten million percent at one point. Um, and and so you know you can you can raise minimum wage and, and say like this is the wage we you know we, we think workers are entitled, um, but it shows that that that's really not, not solving the problem. Once you have a, a command economy like that in place, um, that's, that's dysfunctional. Um, there's, there's really no method to, there's a lot more, you know, madness than the method there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know. You didn't mention this in your article, but I'm wondering if you know about it. Um, do you know the effect that like sanctions on Venezuela may have had? Is it all just them being a socialist country or is it also some foreign interference? It's one of these things that whenever I share something on Venezuela, this this comes up. Um, 
and yeah, sanctions. Here's the thing: like there are there are currently you know harmful sanctions in place on Venezuela, and and I personally think, I, considering the humanitarian uh, crisis there, I, I I would I would favor lifting those sanctions. I I, I know um, why they're in place, and I know when they like they started. Uh, I think the first round came in late for 2014 or early. Uh, 2015 by the Obama administration that imposed like like the most recent um, round here after Chavez's death, um, and but if you look the, these these uh, sanctions were imposed, Venezuela was already in a full blown economic collapse by then. Now are they helping the situation? No, uh, and and I and I, I do think they they should be lifted just for the humanitarian situation going on there. Um, people are starving. Um, like it's not full-blown famine yet, but they're on the verge of a, of a full-blown famine in, in Venezuela. And I, and I think there, it would help people by, li by lifting sanctions. Uh, secondly, it would kind of, um, you know, you, you wouldn't have this ability to, to blame the evil, you know, Western imperialists, which is what Maduro is doing. You know, he's like, it, it, this isn't, this isn't us. It's, it's them that, you know, that are imposing that. And I, and I think it's a, it, it's a, it's a tragedy that we give them you know, the ability to kind of say that, because whenever I share things, like I said on Twitter, people are like, oh, it's because of the sanctions. And I, I quickly point out, you know, it's, it's not hard to see when this started, an economic collapse well before any sanctions were imposed on Venezuela. So then you did reference your, your second article that I wanted to talk about. Um, it's titled Cash Disappearing in Venezuela Despite Hyperinflation. Uh, the first point is that like, 400,000 boulevards can't even buy a piece of candy. Uh, do you want to talk about what's going on over there? Yeah, and again, it was inspired by another Reuters piece. Like Reuters is, is uh, as a former newsman myself, I, I, I do hold Reuters in respect. They're one of the few places that still is doing like this shoe leather journalism. They have, you know, their journalists in Caracas in, in other parts of, of Venezuela that are that are talking to people and getting these stories. Mm -hmm. um, you know, just to go back to the previous one, they that was not announced by Maduro. This was, you know, Pete, those journalists talking to individuals in Venezuela that figured out what's going on. That yes, we're they're returning, you know, these businesses to people. Um, but to go back to the other story, yeah, it, it's pretty crazy what you have. Um, you know, when you think of hyperinflation, you think of Weimar Germany, you think of Yugoslavia, and those pictures where people have currency as wallpaper, right? Because the money has become so worthless. It works better as paper than an actual currency. And so you think of these, these countries being drowned in, in all this, this cash. Um, and I thought it was fascinating because um, in Venezuela, that, that's really not happening. They're, they're, they're suffering from a cash shortage despite um, all the hyperinflation they have. And there's kind of two reasons for it. One is um, all, all of this money is being used um, at these public transit stations. I think it was about three quarters of, of all the, the currencies being used in public transit um, because they don't have any digital system. So all of the money, it, people are waiting in lines um, to withdraw cash just so they can take the train to work because um, they don't have any car um, that, would, that would work. Um, so all of this money is just being used for there. Um, people aren't using you know, cash to buy food and things like that. Like it's just, um, I think they're, they're using other forms of currency and cryptos are making a, a big um, impact, <clears throat> excuse me, in Venezuela right now as, as well. Um, and yeah, I thought, you know, like Venezuela just came out with the million Bolivar. Like that was their, you know, one of their solutions where, you know, you can get a million dollar note. Um, it's worth about 50 cents. And um, so, you know, 
it, it just shows trying to fight um, poverty um, with with currency. Um, you can kind of do things for a while. You can sustain things. You can mask things, but it shows the real inherent danger in in, in trying to you know solve actual you know economic problems by printing paper. Yeah. So I've tried to research this myself, but I I haven't read anything about it. Do you know if like the Caracas stock market is kind of booming? It like has it gone up? I, I, that's a wonderful question. Uh, I, I really could not tell you that. I haven't looked into that myself. Um, maybe maybe that would be a, a good article for me to, to look at. I, I to see um, if you know. I, I think it, it was it was um, Hayek or Mises that that talked about um, you know for, for a nation one of the one of the the real uh, indicators of a, of a of a thriving economy of a good capitalist society is the presence of a thriving stock market. Um, so my hunch is maybe that that is not actually the case in, in Venezuela. My hunch is, you know, just from a, a perspective of capital, um, I wouldn't want to put my capital in Venezuela right now, right? Like, I think there's all kinds of reasons um, that, that you wouldn't want to do that. You know, like, like basically, you, you know, private property rights are, are going to attract investment. And, and private property rights really aren't respected in, in, in Venezuela in a, in a meaningful way. So my hunch is that their stock market is is dysfunctional and doing poorly. But I, I really I haven't looked at those that at that data at all. Yeah, because the only the only data that I saw was that it appeared to have gone up at one point, and it's it's still like inflated. Um, and I don't know what that would mean if it's just that it's detached, much like our stock market is in the United States right now, or or what that would signal but again if it's attached to the boulevard i'm sure it looks like it's it's surging right because um all that inflation is is you know floating into those those assets over there um but yeah it'd be kind of it'd be an interesting thing to look at okay and then to go back to that article um i guess so the the reason that only two percent of the total money supply is in circulation is because people aren't getting the cash fa fast enough? Is that part of the problem? Uh, you know, it, it's funny because I said there was two, two you know, points to that. And I, and I only mentioned one, um, like the, the public transit and how money is, is just kind of being used, you know, overwhelmingly for this one kind of strange purpose. Um, but apparently, uh, and this is even the weirder part, um, they, they, Venezuela is, is having a hard time getting enough paper to print money. Um, they, they just filled a contract last year, <clears throat> I think late last year, with a company in Turkey to buy a ton of paper, um, tons of paper, you know, um, and for whatever reason that contract fell through. So basically, what you have is Venezuela's central bank. Um, you know, they're they're suffering from so many problems that they literally can't get enough paper to print the amounts of uh, the currency. Yeah, that's that's terrible. Um, if you look like like. Um, you know, I think writers are a different article I reference talk, uh, basically, it went from the, the cash circulation as a percentage of, of you know, um, money in the country de decreased from like 8% down. I think you just mentioned maybe like two or 3%. Okay. Yeah. And then you also mentioned like, you have a graph of uh, Venezuela's GDP. What's the significance there? Um, you know, it's just one of those sad, shocking things. Uh, uh, if it's the graph I'm thinking of, it just shows how their uh, the total collapse of their GDP. Um, how you know, like it's a country that was, like I said, one of the most pro prosperous countries in the world um, for a long time, and you know you can see their economy stall a little bit in the 70s after you know 
the um, when they nationalized their oil industry, they did they got a ton of uh, public spending resulting from that. Um, and I there's, there's an economist I, I cite who, who who notes there is more public spending in Venezuela from 1975 to 1979 than the entire history of Venezuela before that in public spending. Um, but th that did have a downside, like their their, their, their economy, their, their economic growth stalled a little bit there. Um, they you do see them start to go up again. Um, oil prices uh, are booming, and everything is going wonderfully in Venezuela for a long time. Um, the you know commodities prices are prone to fluctuation though, and you know when they had all that spending and they're using the oil industry to prop up all this spending, when oil prices came back down to earth, um, Venezuela was in a really bad spot. Which would have been hard enough, but then you know you you add in the fact that they were nationalizing various parts of their economy, um, they suffered a catastrophic collapse in, in GDP, um, and they tried to, to you know address their economic uh, economic problems and with all the wrong solutions. They tried you know like I said through wage controls, currency manipulation, um, more um, seizing seizing more uh, businesses. Uh, and things like that, and and then they, then you factor in eventually the political suppression, um, and it it becomes like basically a full full blown socialist dictatorship, um, and you know the results speak for themselves today. Mm -hmm. And you you also mentioned that they're kind of like a fascist economic country rather than yeah. a capitalistic country. Yeah, like I said, there was there's sort of like if you look at the, the articles that they're they're talking about, you know, Venezuela is turning back to capitalism. Some people in Venezuela said, um, that's not capitalism. The, 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 it's not capitalism. The, the state gets to decide um, which properties are owned, um, what the deal is, like what your take is, what our take is. Um, and if you look, that's much closer to, to to economic fascism than any kind of capitalism. Um, and you know, like that's supported by the idea. If you look, economic freedom in Venezuela is still, like I pointed out earlier, mm -hmm. um, you know, basically last in the world, unless you want to count North Korea. They're um, they're once Venezuela is one spot ahead of, or excuse me, one, one spot below Cuba. Um, so that, that that tells you how much you know how how capitalist Venezuela truly is. Yeah, and then I believe Maduro actually says that the disappearance of the cash is an advantage to Venezuela. Do you want to explain maybe what you're, what you assume he's getting at there? Yeah, no, I, I have no idea what he was talking about. And he didn't elaborate. Like, basically, I think you've reached a point when you have strong men, you know, he, 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 he couldn't, you know, he had to acknowledge the reality that money is disappearing and, and you know, because people can't get it. Um, but he was trying to make it sound like that. That's a good thing. And he is, you know, trying um, to, to switch public transit to a, a digital system. He's trying to, you know, Venezuela is trying to create its own cryptocurrency. Um, there, there's some of these things that are happening. Um, but uh, I think if you ask people in Venezuela um, about the money situation, then they're not going to tell you it's a good thing. Um, waiting in line, you know, a half hour to, to uh, get, get money out of a out of the, the bank so you can ride your butt to, to take a, a bus or a train to work um, doesn't sound like a very convenient thing to me. Yeah, definitely not. Um, and then you do get into how this can be a cautionary tale for the United States. Um, do you want to explain what you mean and then kind of explain this theory by Stephanie Kelton and the other MMTers? I believe her tweet is, uh, I wrote it down here, it says Carpenter can't run out of inches, Stadium can't run out of points. And the USA can't run out of run out of dollars. So do you just want to address that? 
Yeah, no, no. Kelton was an economic advisor to Bernie Sanders, and and you know she's a proponent of modern modern monetary theory. Um, and basically, it's a theory that um, you don't really need to budget; you can just spend money um, because you know the, all of all of this you know fiat money is backed up by the state, and um, we can we can you know print it at will to solve all these problems. Um, and you know, like I think for a long time that was people economists really laughed at that idea like it wasn't an idea taken seriously um but if you look today like it, the united states is in some ways starting to take that approach you know i think in stimulus spending we printed what about six trillion dollars um in the last year and you know if you look at americans like they like receiving checks if you look at you know if you if you pull americans like they're they're kind of not against this stimulus spending because they're getting a little of it um and you know you can do that for a while like i pointed out earlier like we have a you know we're not venezuela in in many you know for all these reasons we have a much more free economy a more robust economy a functioning economy um and you can do things like that and distribute money um you know to a degree but but it's not free um, you know, it, it will result in inflation. Um, and uh, the, the, the real problem is if you can be, become addicted to that um, and, and, and soon like you're, you're using it to solve all these problems um, or try to solve these problems. So I, th I think there is a, you know, great risk and, you know, like it, it's not just, you know, people, you know, in the Austrian school of economics talking about that. Lawrence Summers is one of the, you know, former president of Harvard, one of the most prominent economists, you know, in the world, um, and, and, and pretty much a Keynesian guy. Um, and he's been banging the drum on inflation, says we're, we're, we're looking at some, you know, very serious risks here. Um, and interesting enough, I saw a poll today that just came out. Um, and 52% and of Americans say they're very concerned about inflation. Um, so I, I, I find that encouraging that this inflation is actually on you know, the radar of Americans. And it is something that needs to be taken very, very seriously. History shows hyperinflation happens. It happens all over. And, and to look at it and say, oh, I can't happen here um, is one of the, the sillier you know, things I can think of. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I've seen it in my own life. The people, the amount of people who are starting to talk about you know, I think it was the libertarian meme, the uh, money printer go burr and, and all of that. Um, but then I'm also seeing the inverse of that. Someone came into my work the other day and they said that they took out a loan to put some money into the stock market um, for like the GameStop surge. And we're, we're seeing the excess liquidity. You know, I, I thought that was just like a tale um, that like the random person does that. But I'm starting to see it in my own life. People are telling me, that that's what they're doing. So are you, are you pretty worried about it? Uh, I think we're, we're in a very serious moment right now. Um, I, I think we don't know what fin financial markets are gonna do. Um, yeah, I think a lot of, when I hear stories like the one you mentioned, <clears throat> that's, that's, that's sad and frightening. Um, you know, like I, I get the, the, the temptation when markets are going bonkers, say, hey, I want some of that. I understand that, that mentality. Um, but that kind of thinking, um, is going to cause a lot of, you know, problems for people the, trying to use the, the stock market as a, you know, a slot machine, very dangerous. We're seeing it with GameStop and some of these stocks, um, you know, Hey, if you can pull it off and make money from it, I guess that's fine. There are, there's, there's serious risks in doing that. Um, you know, if you look at we're seeing a big downturn now and is, is we need, the truth is, you know, like. If you're investing in the market, you're kind of like not happy about that. 
the truth is we need a correction. I think if you talk to most people, um, the, the, the market's still overpriced. And, uh, you know, um, but that's kind of tangential, I guess, to some of your, your, your larger points. Um, if, you, if you look at the spending coming out of Washington, um, you know, we just passed another $2 trillion stimulus bill that really didn't do much exact, as far as stimulus. And it looks like, you know, lawmakers aren't done. I think um, they, they want to keep doing this, um, you know, target more infrastructure and spend money that we don't have, even though we're approaching $30 trillion in debt. Um, you know, like I said, you can, you can do these things for a while. Eventually, they will catch up to you. And history shows that. Yeah, definitely. Well, I think we covered everything. If you want to mention anything else, if you think we, we missed anything, please do. And then we can let you go. Uh, no, I think we covered a lot of ground. I appreciate the invitation. Um, it, it's fun to talk about ideas like this. They're very important. Any listeners, they can find me. Um, you know, fee.org is, is where we, you know, do most of our publishing. Um, you know, we, we publish everyday articles about what's going on in the news and um, in history and culture and, and lots of things in that vein. Um, and I'm on Twitter at Miltimore79, if anybody's on Twitter. Um, sometimes I'm, I'm cranky and sassy on Twitter, but that's sort of what Twitter's about. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. All right. Thanks a lot, Liam. I appreciate it. It's the weekend. We can let go.